0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres. We got a big episode on tap for you guys today. We got a little bit of recruiting news to get into. Oregon football is also starting fall camp uh, this coming Friday. Uh, So there's going to be a lot to discuss here in just the next couple of days. In today's episode, like I said, I want to hit on some recruiting headlines for the Ducks that have unfolded since I last spoke on the podcast. And then I also wanted to specifically preview the Oregon offense uh, as we get ready for fall camp. Starting on Friday. So, with all that being said, we are coming to you guys live on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Taurus. Appreciate those of you that are tuned in and uh, definitely want to encourage you guys to hop in the live chat and ask a question, and I will do my best to answer it and to get to it. So, today, I want to start off with some recruiting news because the Ducks did just land a big commitment on the recruiting trail. That is 2023 defensive lineman Terrence Green. Terrence Mean Green, as he goes by. Um, Terrence Green is a four-star prospect out of Cywood's High School in Cypress, Texas. And he is a four-star prospect according to two four, the 247 Sports Composite, which has him rated at .9031. He is the number three hundred overall recruit in the country, number forty-five defensive lineman, and number fifty-five overall recruit in the state of Texas. And this is a really big get for Oregon. I think that Oregon needed to get some momentum going along the in the trenches overall, and then uh, really along the defensive line. I think after you have some really big names added to this new staff, Dan Landing, obviously the biggest one, uh, and then Tosh Lapoy as well, Tony Tuioti. I think now that you have those guys on staff now, I think some people were waiting for a while, you know, when are we going to get, uh, when are we going to get some some commitments flowing here in the 2023 class along the defensive line? Um, I think also with, with this commitment, it helps Oregon strengthen their fo- their stronghold in the state of Texas, which is one of the most talent rich states in the entire country. Obviously you have the big three that a lot of people like to reference with uh, Oregon, sorry, not Oregon, uh, California, Texas, and Florida. Those are the biggest ones that uh, most of the top programs in the country really, really hone in on. I know that Oregon hasn't really done a whole lot in Florida uh, in recent years aside from Brandon Dorless and then Jonathan Dennis, who has since transferred to Miami following this last season. So Oregon was able to land Terrence Green over a host of other big programs. Texas was in there, Florida, Michigan State, Miami. Um, so this was this was a big get for Oregon to be able to go into that state and um and hold off uh Texas as well as some of those other story programs to lend another big commitment that they really needed. I think after the 2022 season, you're projected to lose uh a, a lot of pretty meaningful production in, in the trenches, particularly along the defensive line, along that interior. Popo on the vibe, Brendan Dorless. Um Those are those are two big guys that look like they could be entering their final seasons. But the Ducks do have some talent that are, you know, should still be on the roster after this upcoming season. I believe Sam Taimani should still be eligible as well as Keon Ware-Hudson, who is coming back from a little bit of an injury riddled 2021 season. But he will be a sophomore this year, so he could come back uh, after this upcoming season If he wanted to, and I think he's going to be a big piece of this defensive line or Tony Tuioti this upcoming season. So I'm excited to see what he has to do, but big get for Oregon, uh, Oregon's class, I believe moved from 21 to 16. Uh, I need to double check that I can do that right now. So on the two, four, seven rankings, they are at 16 in the country, just 12 commits, in that class. So I think that that speaks a lot to the quality of the commitments that the Ducks have been able to reel in so far in 2023. Um, I think you see some other programs uh, in, in college football that maybe have a new staff and they, they want to just take commitments left and right to build momentum. And, and that does work for some schools. You know, Maybe they're not as, uh, not as strong traditionally and they just need to drum up some buzz, drum up some momentum, and then get guys jumping into the fold. But Oregon's 2023 recruiting class definitely saw a little bit of a, a significant surge, I should say, with Terrence Green announcing his commitment to the Ducks on Monday, August 1st. A couple other guys that are in the fold from uh, from this 23 class, looking in the state of Texas, the Lone Star State, you also have Brennan Safety, Tyler Turner, uh, who is out of the San Antonio area. He was a former Baylor commit, and uh, Oregon was able to swoop in there and uh, add him to their 2023 class. Look at uh, previous connections like Matt Powledge, who was previously on Dave Aranda's staff at Baylor. I thought that was definitely a big part in in that commitment. But this this addition of Terrence Green is really notable because I think this is the kind of talent that you need to add in the trenches if you want to be competitive on a year-in, year-out basis. Um, Obviously, you have to develop the skill, but you also just need to have the raw size and, and, and power to To compete in the trenches with a lot of these big offensive linemen that Oregon's going to be going against, schools like Georgia. Um, that was obviously big. And then Ohio State as well. So just getting a, a guy 6'5", 265 with, with Terrence Green, that's his frame right now, uh, according to 247 Sports. I think he's going to be a very solid addition for Oregon. Not sure if he's necessarily going to play right away, um, but I think he's, he's someone that could certainly add some very significant depth to this defensive line. And, uh, I think that getting, getting him in the fold is going to be big because maybe it'll serve as a little bit of a little bit of a domino effect for Oregon along the defensive line. Some, some other big names to keep an eye on. Maybe just let's zoom out a little bit and go front seven. Uh, David Hicks also from the state of Texas is someone that you really want to keep an eye on there on the recruiting trail. Uh, Oregon has hosted him uh, numerous times, once in the spring and then again for his official visit uh, back in the month of June. And then you have Mateo Uyangale, the highly touted uh, edge rusher from St. John Bosco. It doesn't look like he's in any kind of a hurry with his recruitment uh, as far as announcing a final decision. He was on campus in Eugene for his official visit that big June 24th weekend, right before the dead period. Oregon's definitely got to be feeling good about where they stand in that recruitment, but you have schools like Ohio State, USC, Clemson, and Alabama all still looming large in that recruitment. I think Mateo is planning to take a couple official visits once the season gets underway. So those are a couple guys that you have to keep an eye on on the recruiting trail for Oregon. Uh, and then also Amari Washington out of Arizona and Michael Gardner. I think those are some other defensive line prospects that Oregon's in a great spot for and I feel really good about where they're at. I think Amari Washington was actually on campus this past weekend uh, out of the dead period so good sign from for Oregon to see him quickly getting back out to Eugene for another visit. But now that we have that recruiting news out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into some fall camp preview content uh, specifically. Oregon's offense uh, in 2022 under Kenny Gillingham. I think that Oregon enters the 2022 season with a lot to prove on offense. I think their offense was good last year, but definitely left a lot to be desired. I think Oregon fans were excited to see a strong running game, but maybe not that much of a running game, just to the point of a lot of play calls looked repetitive and, and there wasn't that much variety in what we were seeing from week to week. And then really between first and second Utah game you were gonna need to make some big adjustments and they just didn't see it that could really be said for both sides of the ball in those particular games but I think just by injecting some some new some new coaches some new talent to this offense really should spell success for Oregon's offense in 2022 because they have so much talent now they just need to find someone that knows how to use it the right way and I think that they're is both reason to be a little bit hesitant and also to be confident um, with, with Oregon's offense in 2022. I think a lot of people, not necessarily on the Oregon end of things, but maybe just in general on college football, there, there are some, some reasonable questions that you ask when you have an offensive coordinator as young as Kenny Dillingham, but he's someone that clearly knows what he's talking about. Every time he, he talks, I feel like you kind of feel like some of that that age bias maybe that some people might have maybe melts away a little bit, but one of the biggest topics or biggest ways that you can kind of guide your perception of this team is, you know, what have we heard in spring football in the off season pressers at PAC 12 media day from, from Lanning, from Forsyth, from DJ Johnson, what have we heard there? And then how do we see that on the field? Because talk is cheap in the off season, right? That goes for any team. I'm not even just talking about Oregon. Talk is cheap in the off season, when the pads get popping, when the, the whistles are blowing and you have big plays left and right, uh, you know someone hits you in the mouth and, and it's your time to, to figure out how you're going to respond, how are you going to pick yourself up, how are you going to grow as a team? I think that's when you really see what kind of a team that you have to work with. And that's why fall camp is so exciting because now we're just about uh, a month from tomorrow, we are going to be watching Oregon against Georgia on the national stage in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game, um, which is going to be really, really exciting. So let's talk about the Oregon offensive line. And definitely wanted to remind you guys, throw a question in the chat if you guys uh, have anything that you wanted to ask me. Eric's here. He says, hey, Max, thanks for the content. Appreciate you, Eric, for stopping by, taking some time out of your day to talk some ball with us. Should be a fun season for the Ducks in 2022. When we're talking about the offense, I think that the most appropriate place to start is the offensive line. Because if the offensive line can't block anybody, well, players can't get off the ground and you could get yourself in trouble in a hurry. And that is one major bonus that the Oregon Ducks have going their way heading into 2022. They have a wealth of returning production uh, along that front line. Obviously, you have Alex Forsyth as the starting center. He was named to the Remington Trophy Award Watch List. That is the nation's most outstanding center. Um, that was really big. Uh, you also have Ryan Walk, TJ Bass, uh, Stephen Jones, Malia Sala, Amavai Laulu. Uh, let's see who else. Uh, Jackson Powers Johnson is another guy that we might be seeing some more of this year. He's, he's listed on that updated Oregon football roster as both a defensive lineman and an offensive lineman. But I'm kind of curious to get your guys' thoughts. Where is there a bigger need for Jackson Powers Johnson? Would it be on the defensive line or the offensive line? leave me a comment in the live chat or in the comments to let me know where you think he is, where he best fits for the ducks in 2022, because he came to Oregon as an offensive lineman and that's where he made most of his impact as a true freshman. Um, We saw him get some snaps. I remember in the UCLA game, that was pretty big uh, and really encouraging to see just how well he played as a true freshman. That is a huge dude um, coming out of Corner Canyon in Utah, which is, a big emerging pipeline state for Oregon uh, on the recruiting trail. And I think it's going to be really, really fun to see how they can shape up there. But um, other guys that they have on in the offensive line, Dawson Jaramillo, I feel like Dawson Jaramillo might be uh, one of the biggest wild cards on this offensive line, just because he got some really meaningful snaps last year in that Ohio state game. And I feel like every time his number was called, he always rose to the occasion But we we didn't see him get a a ton of starting time, uh, a ton of starts um, from 2022, if memory serves correctly. So I think he's probably one of the maybe one of the best kept secrets along this offensive line as Adrian Clem heads into this 2022 season. He's someone that that a lot of players have talked about as the, the Swiss Army knife of the offensive line. You can certainly say the same thing for Ryan Walk, who slid over to play center really admirably last year when Alex Forsyth was battling those back spasms, uh, which I think really showed their first signs in that Stanford game. You'll remember that was early October when Oregon was in Palo Alto on the farm. Eventually, they ended up losing a pretty tough game uh, in overtime to the Cardinal. Uh, And then you also have Josh Connerly, Dave Uley coming in in that 2022 class. So I think those are the two names that you want to watch out for, see if they can get some playing time as true freshmen. They have that four-game redshirting rule. Rather, you can play four games before burning a redshirt uh, in in any season. Um, So I think that Connerly comes to Oregon with as much hype as as we've ever seen uh, anybody, literally. He's the highest-rated offensive line commit in Oregon football history, even passing Panay Sewell, who, as we know, became the first Outland Trophy winner from Oregon. And then he also went on to the NFL and was selected number seven by the Detroit lions in the 2021 NFL draft. Uh, so Oregon's got a, a, a strong tradition of offensive linemen and uh, both the guys that they uh, already have on the roster. And then maybe some of them that are projected to play quite a bit. And then also some of these, uh, some of these young bucks can definitely help fill in and continue that legacy of strong offensive line play at the university of Oregon. So for Oregon, I think their offensive line certainly has their strength in the run game. Oregon's, for the most part, as long as I've been following them and covering them, been a run-first team, I think that we're going to see a much more balanced attack under Kenny Dillingham heading into this next season. Um, he was talking, I think it was on the QB11 show. That was a really awesome episode. If you guys haven't listened to it, you should go check it out. He was talking, I think, just about you know, not necessarily having – a certain ratio uh, of, you know, run and pass and really just taking what the defense gives him and kind of letting that sometimes dictate what he wants to do. Uh, but at the same time, you also don't want to let an opponent dictate what you're doing because then you can kind of play yourself into some trouble there. But case in point, I bring that up to say that I think that it's pretty, pretty uh, likely that we will be seeing a more balanced offensive attack from Oregon. Um, I think they probably have some more room to grow in the passing game. Just because we saw such a limited passing attack last year, uh, you know, Anthony Brown had to scramble, or he, he ended up up, you know, turning the ball over, or got sacked. That I think that they really didn't get to work in lockstep and really kind of get get to see what you know the peak of their play looks like as an offensive line, if that makes sense. Sure, they had you know great performances in the run game, but I don't think they've really had those games where it's like, man, we can really pass the ball, we can really, you know. Uh, knock these guys down and and you know win the line of scrimmage in both facets of the game. I think that's a, a big area that I'm gonna be looking for growth from this Oregon offensive line in 2022. I expect them to dominate in the run game, but how do they look in the passing attack and how do they look with a new quarterback that they're blocking for? Um, I think that'll be pretty interesting. You know what what does that relationship look like with how much the quarterback trusts the offensive line and and, and vice versa? How long does a play maybe get extended? Uh, Can that quarterback hang in the pocket um, when there's a lot of pressure coming at him, or is he maybe a little quick to to escape the pocket? These are all hypotheticals that we're hopefully going to have answers for, uh, you know, in just about a month, or even from what we see in uh, spring and fall camp. I almost said spring football, but in in fall camp. So, case in point, Oregon's offensive line is looking about as solid as anybody's in the entire country. Certainly, one of the top units in the Pac-12. So. That should definitely spell success for whoever uh, whoever ends up winning the quarterback job, whether that be Ty Thompson, Bo Nix, Jay Butterfield. You always want to have a strong offensive line to lead you into battle. Eric says it's going to be great having Dilly be able to utilize our playmakers: McGee, Thornton, Franklin, Hudson. We're looking at we're loaded at pass catchers. It will be nice to see them put in a position to shine. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that Oregon's wide receivers look, you know, probably the strongest as far as a you know too deep. That Oregon's wide receiver might be the de- the deepest position group on this team. You had guys that you mentioned in this comment. You have Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton, Chris Hudson as as guys that played last year. Uh, Troy Franklin was the uh, was the guy who played the most snaps out of any freshman last season. Uh, but Dante Thornton really came on strong. Uh, we saw him against Stony Brook, and then after injuries to uh, Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red wasn't available down the stretch, Micah Pittman transferred, Dante got thrown into the fire a bit. And, and I think that that, um, you know, I'm not saying he played poorly. I'm not trying to say that at all, but we didn't see a whole lot of him, a whole lot from him rather, in, in those games down the stretch when he did start um, I think he had a touchdown in the Alamo Bowl, um, which is definitely an encouraging sign. I'm going to look that up right now um, because I don't want to I don't want to um, mess up how I'm representing Dante's ability um, because I think he might have had a touchdown in that game. So give me a second here. Um, okay, no. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah, Dante Thornton, 66 yard pass from Anthony Brown in the third quarter. Um, so that was definitely a, a highlight for Dante last year. Um, but I think he's ready. I say all that to say he's ready to make an even bigger impact, even though he was in some games, um, he's ready to make a bigger impact for the ducks, uh, had that touchdown against Stony Brook. And then again, against, um, Oklahoma in the Alamo bowl that I just mentioned. So really good to see him utilize as a deep threat. For Oregon in the passing game, and then he he was one of three wide receivers. Count them one, two, three wide receivers that had a hundred yard receiving performances in that Oregon spring game. And yeah, it's only a spring game. You don't want to make too much of it, but I thought that, that was a great thing to see, a great sign of things to come from Dante. And then Chris Hudson really came on strong in both of those Utah games. I think that he's I don't want to say a gadget guy, but I think he's someone that's really stepping into a bigger role at Oregon. And, and I think he's ready to just contribute in a, in a variety of ways uh, in, in the passing game for Oregon, whether it be, you know, some small bubble screens or maybe doing some more stuff intermediate over the middle. I think the biggest thing that we want to see from the wide receivers is stretch the field. And that's, you know, a two, a, it takes two to do that, right? But three, right. You have the offensive line, the quarterback, and then the wide receiver, like the quarter, the wide receiver can run the route, but if the quarterback isn't willing to push the ball, if the offensive coordinator isn't willing to call those deep plays, then we're not going to be able to see that. But I think biggest thing I want to see from the wide receivers is being able to take the top off the defense. So the quarterback can stretch the field and then get these guys drawn up into situations where they're, where they are in one-on-one position you know, one-on-one battles, right? That's what Kenny Dillingham talks so passionately about after getting hired and, and throughout spring football. And then, get them in those one-on-one battles. They have the size to do it. They have the size and speed to do it. Dante Thornton, Chase Cota, Caleb Chapman, who comes over from AM. They have the size and speed to do that, but that's not the only way that these wide receivers, I think, can, can really make an impact. I think getting maybe some of the smaller, shifty or quicker guys like Seven McGee, Chris Hudson in space is, is really going to spell some, you know, being, I, I feel like I'm saying that usually you hear spells disaster. So maybe I'm not using that right, but it should be a key to success for these Oregon wideouts to really just get moved all around, play a variety of positions. I think that the more versatile you can be as a wide receiver unit is, is really only going to help you shine. And then you also have uh, a couple other guys uh, that should be, you know, involved this year. I think Isaiah Crocker He's uh, one of the more veteran wideouts on this Oregon team. He kind of came on pretty strong last year uh, down the stretch, like I talked about with, with the Ducks missing some key pieces in their receiving core to close out the 2021 season. So I think Isaiah Crocker is, is definitely going to be motivated this season as, as one of the older guys in that room. Uh, I think he came to Oregon with the class of 2018. So I think this is going to be his last season with the Ducks. And then he's definitely in a great position to, to make a big impact as, as a leader in that room. And we haven't even talked about Kyler Casper yet, who has really been, I wouldn't say the crown jewel of the wide receiver hall for Oregon yet, because the Ducks do have Jerry on Dickey committed in the 2023 class. But as far as guys that are ready to contribute this upcoming year that weren't here before this staff got hired, I think you got to put Chase Coda and Kyler Casper right in that mix. Uh, Kyler Casper comes to Oregon as one of the most athletic wideouts from the 2022 recruiting class. You'll remember. He was in 2023, and then he decided to reclassify to the 2022 class, and now he's enrolled. He's with the Ducks in Eugene, and he is ready to make an impact. So Oregon's wide receivers are definitely super, super uh, loaded with talent, and they're just chomping at the bit to, to really get involved. Brian says, really looking forward to a fresh look from the coaching guys really buying into the philosophy and the development of players. I think that's huge because development, well, obviously you want the development to, to be there and then the philosophy and buy-in. I think that's one of the biggest things that you're going to want to be looking for at, at fall camp is how do these players look as far as just being bought in and, and, you know, are they, are they disciplined? Are they making the same mental errors? And I think development is one of those steps that this coaching staff really wants to take, um, to send more guys to the NFL because you can have all the talent in the world in college. But if you just have a strong college career, then you don't end up getting things. uh, If you don't end up panning out in the NFL, then it's, it's, it's kind of tough because I think that that's something that comes into play with a lot of these recruiting battles is these guys want to go to the league. Recruits want to go to the league. And that is so often the case as a determining factor in, in these recruiting battles. So I think, Getting development across the board, I think that Oregon's shown that they can develop offensive linemen, but they haven't really been putting out receivers as much as I think that they would want to in an ideal world. Um, Devin Williams, I think, was was someone that looked like he was on track to do that. He decided to go to the NFL. Uh, he could have come back, but I believe he landed with the Baltimore Ravens, and I think he got called up to the, you know, the uh, active roster. So someone might have to check me on that. But the last that I saw... Devin Williams was with the Baltimore Ravens. Brian also said, I really liked Coda in the spring game. It looks like a solid move the chains kind of wide receiver. I couldn't agree more. I think that's exactly where I could see Chase Coda making a big impact for Oregon this year. I believe he's listed at 6'3". So being just a strong possession guy that can also just you know flat out run, um, that was definitely something that I saw in the spring game just as far as knowing that's a guy. Since he's a veteran, he's going to know where the sticks are, know where he needs to be running his route, get the ball, and and you know maybe not try to do too much with it. Be someone that you're confident. You know that's our playmaker. I wonder and that could lead to another interesting question: Who's going to be the wide receiver one of this team in 2022? It looked like Devin Williams really emerged as that wide receiver one for Oregon. Something that the Ducks really needed. You know the, the past couple of years, I think you want to distribute the ball for sure. You want to keep defenses guessing and be able to, you know, count on multiple guys to make contributions uh, when, when you need them to. But at the same time, I think there's absolutely a benefit for a quarterback, for an offense, for an offensive coordinator, to just be able to go out there and say, I know I can pass the ball to him when I need a play. When the game's on the line, we need to move the chains. We need to keep the drive alive, whatever it may be. Knowing that there's someone that you can absolutely go to and you're confident that he's going to make that play for you no matter what the circumstances. I think that is really big. Um, and that's something that I think the previous coaching staff didn't really seem to emphasize too much. I think I remember asking that getting asked a couple times throughout last season. And um, you know, they were kind of downplaying the the potential benefits of having, having a number one wide receiver, you know, a true standout guy. And I think that similar to what we had seen in the spring game with, with Chase Coda being a move the chains kind of a receiver, like Brian's saying here, I think that we could see that as part of the next step in Dante Thornton's evolution. Cause I think that was one of the focuses that I remember him talking about when we spoke with him in spring practice was, you know, he's a six, five guy, you know, two, two We don't have updated weights just yet. Hopefully we'll get that at fall camp with uh, another look at the roster. Uh, So let's call it 6'5", 215, 220, a guy that can run, but he wants to be able to play. I think he should want to play a more physical brand of football, someone who works his way back to the ball and is ripping the ball away from defensive backs. And he's definitely poised to do that. Um, I think that he put on some pretty obvious muscle in the off season. And that's, we saw that when we were, you know, able to go to our first practice, that was one of the first guys that we really noticed as someone who was uh, putting on some serious muscle. So I think that really should help uh, this wide receiver crew and, and the Oregon offense moving ahead into 2022. We're going to go ahead and step away for a quick break. For those of you listening to us on the podcast, uh, on the podcasting platforms, All right, welcome back to the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres. We are live on YouTube at Oregon Football, Max Torres. Appreciate you guys stopping by. Those of you that are here talking some ducks with us and getting ready for fall camp as we preview the Oregon offense. Quick favor to ask of you guys, just take a second out of your day to smash the like button and smash the subscribe button uh, to help support the channel. That is a tremendous help for me and what I'm doing trying to cover the Ducks, and then go ahead and hit that notification bell so that you don't miss out on future live streams here on the channel, trying to get going at a much more frequent pace. I want to be going daily, but I don't want to promise that or commit to that just yet unless I can do it, but just wanted to make sure I asked that of you, for those of you that are watching here on YouTube. So now we have a couple other position groups that we can also talk about. Want to talk about the tight ends as well as the running backs. we had a couple more comments here. So let me see if I can get some of those. See me on the big screen says, speaking of offensive line, how does the depth look in the upcoming years? Will we see some guys in the rotation this year and this veteran filled offensive line. Yeah. I think that Oregon's offensive line in the coming years, it, it looks promising, but unproven just because we haven't seen that many guys aside from the veterans really get a lot of playing time. So if they're able to not only develop, you know, some really good versatility and, and dependable depth. Um, I think that that's going to be a great step in, in, in so far as getting those guys involved. Hopefully the ducks can put away. I feel like I'm a broken record when I go back to this point, but it's so important. I, I think every time talk about it, Oregon needs to blow out some teams that they're supposed to blow out. You know, you shouldn't be going down to the final wire against Cal uh, against Arizona against Colorado, that wasn't the case last year, but uh, you need to be able to, I think, to take an, another step in their development and to help yourself down the road, you need to handle these lower bottom tier Pac-12 teams um, so that you can get some of these younger guys into the rotation. Uh, thinking, I'm thinking about guys like Marcus Harper, uh, like Faope Laulu, Uh, I think that's another guy that those are two guys that should definitely be getting some more snaps on this Oregon football roster. And then some of the guys from the 2022 uh, signing class, I think you want to get them more involved uh, so that they're ready to play in in the coming years uh, when their numbers call it, because you are going to be losing quite a bit of this offensive line after the 2022 season. So let's see some of the other guys that could maybe get involved. Um, I think You know, Bram Walden is someone that's been at Oregon for for a little bit. He's a redshirt freshman. Um, Let's see who else we have uh, on the offensive line. Uh, I already mentioned Josh Connerly. I think we can maybe see him getting a little bit involved. Kavika Rogers came in the class of 2022 uh, all the way from Hawaii. Uh, So he joins Faope as another uh, Hawaiian on the roster, which is always cool and then Michael Wooten came in in that 2022 class as well. So I think getting some of those guys involved could really pay dividends down the road in terms of having a better feel for what this offensive line looks like in 2023. Cause I don't think you want to be, you want to be in the position in 2023 where you can go out and recruit offensive linemen um, that are so good that they could play in 2023, but you don't want to be in the position where we need them to play in 2023 uh, because I think that means that you definitely did, uh, you know, you did something wrong and, and mismanaged your roster to a degree uh, the previous season. If because you know that you're going to lose a lot of guys from the 2022 offensive line group, so a big part of what you have to do as an offensive line staff, as a head coach this upcoming season, is get more of these guys in. So I think we could definitely see some guys in the rotation this year with even with a bunch of veterans. However, I think it's important to note that Adrian Clem commented on uh, the importance of consistency and kind of more or less sticking to the same five guys when we were talking to him back in spring practice. And that was pretty much the opposite, right? Of, of what we heard from the previous Oregon football staff uh, under Mario Cristobal, Alex Mirabal, they wanted to to have that position versatility and, and they were cycling guys in throughout the year per, Primarily in the earlier half of the season, I think when some people maybe thought it wasn't that necessary, but to their credit, Alex Forsyth had the back spasms issue and they were able to really not skip a beat as an offensive line. So everyone kind of has different philosophies, but I think as far as learning different positions, that's something that's probably going to be continued with this staff. But as far as the rotations and then subbing, I think that's something that is probably going to be. You know, at least from what we've heard and the indications that we've been given, that's probably going to be uh, quite a bit different under this new staff. Micah Time asks, what's up with Isaiah Brevard? I don't want him to transfer. He's another guy in that uh, wide receiver room that has a ton of talent. And I'm kind of uh, upset at myself for not mentioning him. You know, He came from Mississippi as uh, another All-American recruit in the 2021 class, which really is... um, which is really that 2021 recruiting class for Oregon, at wide receiver. That was probably their best recruiting class, uh, receiver with their best group of wide receivers in program history. Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton, and Isaiah Brevard were all all American caliber recruits and Isaiah Brevard is a redshirt freshman. Oh, he came from, he was from Memphis, Tennessee, but he went to South Haven high school in Mississippi. I think he's, he's someone that, um, you know, he didn't play a whole lot as a freshman, you know, only played in two games, uh, had a six yard catch in the Alamo Bowl, and he only played eleven offensive snaps in, in those two games. So it's it's tough to see. I think Oregon's wide receiver room, because they've lost some guys, much like their running back room, which I wanted to talk about, I feel like snaps are are pretty up in the air. I think not so much as the running back room, right? Because they lose their top two contributors and Travis Dye and C.J. Verdell, but you lose some of those veterans, and now younger guys are going to be asked to take a bigger role. So I think that we could maybe see Isaiah Rivard break into the two deep uh, at, at you know uh, um, various times throughout the season. That's a, a very crowded room, but they're just I feel like if I'm the Oregon staff and I'm looking at the wide receiver room, I want to be looking for the new guys that I can you know really um, have solidified as as some of my starters i think that some of the guys that i'm really confident in you know maybe being that that first line some kind of mixture of 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 dante thornton um chris hudson chase coda and seven mcgee i feel like that would be a really really good um mixture of, of different kind of skill sets and then obviously rotating in guys uh, in in that second unit as well, so maybe Isaiah Brevard can take that step forward and get a little bit more, um, a little bit more, you know, solidified and well balanced to just have a bunch of guys where you know someone falls, someone goes down, and there's no drop off because you just have guys that you're ready to to throw in there. So uh, my words got a little bit jumbled there, but hopefully my point still came across. Oregon's wide receiver room is is a little bit unproven, but man, is it loaded with talent um, and lots of youth to be excited about. Next comment is uh, tight ends and wide receivers plus running backs in the O-line. The offense is loaded and should be the best and most explosive we have had in at least the past five years. Yeah, I think that that's, um, that's, it it sounds like it's a, a very high expectation, but I think that's where this Oregon team is at. I think that Oregon's offenses, even though they've been good, I really don't feel like they've been explosive maybe since the days of, of Vernon Adams, maybe Vernon Adams, Marcus Mariota, when they made that run to the national championship. It just, it, I think with Vernon Adams, there was just so much excitement with that offense, whether it be handing the ball off to Royce Freeman or uh, improvising and, and chucking the ball downfield. I think that Vernon Adams really kind of felt like that was the last time the offense was explosive, and I can see maybe some people are saying, well, did you not see when Justin Herbert was at Oregon? Justin Herbert was a phenomenal player, but I think if you watch Oregon football, you know how he was just handcuffed as as a quarterback in terms of just he was so limited. You don't have that kind of a career in the NFL if you didn't already have that talent. I don't think that there was some massive leap that he necessarily made from college to the NFL. Cause he was already super talented. The Oregon staff just wasn't putting him in the best spot to succeed and really let the ball rip downfield and, and have that balance of, of run and passing attack. So I would definitely agree that I think this could, this could be probably should be the most explosive offense that Oregon's had in a while. And I think that that kind of comes off as a, a bold prediction or a bold take with all the turnover that they've had. Um, but they have an experienced quarterback if, if BoneX ends up winning the job and then you have a very experienced offensive line and you have, you have experience at every position. It's just kind of to different levels, right? Uh, so we could talk about the running backs a little bit more. I wanted to talk about them before I got out of here on the live chat. Um, you got Byron Carwell, Sean Dollars, Noah Whittington, uh, Marquise Bucky Irving. Um, those guys I think are going to make a very, very deep running back room uh, and and I think that we'll probably see more of like a one-two punch combo with, uh, you know, a, a strong duo and then a third guy that comes in occasionally. I think Byron Carwell, he, he looks like the guy that, that should be the most comfortable in the Oregon offense. Just seeing that he got, I think it was 61 carries for a little over 400 yards and three touchdowns last year. But man, there has been some really great competition that is going to be started in this Oregon running back room. Um, with, with, the guys that Carlos Lachlan has brought in, Noah Whittington definitely looked like a guy who ran super, super hard. Um, and he ran for 600 yards as a, as a freshman at, at Western Kentucky with Carlos Laughlin. So he looked great all throughout the spring. And I love the, the, you know, nastiness that he runs with could also definitely add some really good value in the passing game coming out of the backfield, catching passes, And then Marquise Irving was one of the hottest commodities in the transfer portal last year coming out of Minnesota, where he had, I believe it was about 800 all-purpose yards, whether it be running the ball or uh, he also did some really great work as a return specialist for the Golden Gophers. So I think that uh, you definitely need to keep an eye on those transfers that came in with Noah Whittington and Marquise Irving. Noah Whittington was with the Ducks for spring football, but Marquise Irving wasn't. Um, I'll be honest that he wasn't really on my radar until he committed to Oregon. So I am super excited to see what Marquise Irving can do for the ducks in 2022. And then Sean is coming back from injury after flirting with the transfer portal for a little bit, that's gotta be a big win for Dan Lennon and this coaching staff to, to get him uh, you know, back on the team. Um, and, and this running back room is, it's just the, the rich get richer. now we just kind of have to see how the carries are going to be distributed. Who's going to be the lead back. Who's going to take that first snap when the Ducks play Georgia in Atlanta in just over a month? And then, um, you know, how do snaps get distributed throughout the rest of the game? Uh, Who's going to be the go-to guy? Who's going to be the pass-catching back? Those are all questions that I think are are really going to uh, hopefully be answered here pretty soon. Uh, We had another comment here: Uh, if Herbert had the receive, if he had the these receivers and this staff, Herbert would take us to a natty. Yeah, I think that that's not a stretch at all to say after seeing what he's done for the Chargers. Uh, Also comment here, people sleeping on Sean Dollars. Yeah, I think Sean Dollars is, he he looked great in the spring game. Um, And I know that Byron Carwell said in the spring that if you watched him in practice, you you watch him going through these drills and everything, you you wouldn't be able to tell that he had kind of a a major uh, injury uh, during his college career. So I think that's great to hear for for the Ducks. You definitely want to have that running back room completely healthy and and ready to go. And then that's, I think, what all the indications are pointing towards right now, um, that Oregon's running back should be healthy by the time the the season starts. And you didn't have any big injuries that you had to deal with there. Uh, Losing CJ Verdell is is obviously a big blow. Travis Dye as well. Uh, I know a lot of Oregon fans are pretty upset that he's playing at USC, but he was a phenomenal player while he was at Oregon. Um I was pretty surprised by how well he was able to slide in as almost an every down back just because a lot of people were concerned about him having the frame to do that but um definitely really enjoyed watching Travis Die um he he was just such a special talent I think we also have to talk about the uh, Oregon tight ends right I think Oregon's tight end group um should make a solid case for one of the deepest tight end groups in the Pac12 um let's see so you got Maliki Mochavau and, and Terrence Ferguson. Terrence Ferguson landed on the John Mackey award watch list, uh, preseason watch list for the best tight end in college football. I think he's someone who probably missed out the most last year just because the tight ends weren't utilized that much. Um you know him and Maliki, you got to you got to know they came to Oregon as early enrollees and they did not look like true freshmen. These are guys that were 6'5", 6'6" and you know both well within range of 240-250. So they have that NFL size that that you really covet and that you need uh, really to, to make the, you know, make the difference. I think maybe I'm a little bit biased because I played some tight end in high school, but tight ends are just one of the most unique positions on the field and the depth doesn't even just stop there. You also have Cam McCormick for returning for his super duper senior season. I don't know how many supers you can put on that for the super senior designation, but either way, it's great that Cam will be playing for the ducks again. Um, in uh in 2022 after suffering uh, a major injury against ohio state last year i think that uh he's it's good to have uh you know a veteran voice a veteran presence in in any position room but uh cam is also from the state of oregon which is, which is great you know he came out of uh summit high school and and, and bend um, so it'll be fun to see how he can do um just putting things together and then you also have um Patrick Herbert. Patrick Herbert's uh, battled some injuries since he was at Oregon, and I think that um, this could be a huge breakout opportunity for him, uh, seeing how he can kind of work into the rotation after battling some knee injuries, uh, because he was, you know, everyone wants to, I remember when we did get to talk to him, everyone was asking about his brother, you know, what does it feel like to see Justin drafted? What's it feel like to see Justin in the NFL? And, um, you know, I can't blame him, but he didn't really seem like he wanted to talk about his brother. He just wanted to, you know, like, hey, can we like, you know, talk about me and, and this team and how we're doing? I'm not trying to say he was uh, exuding any kind of selfishness, but he was focused on the here and now. And, um, you know, he he is an awesome player in his own right. And I think much like we've talked about with a lot of these wideouts, just looking for an opportunity to make an impact. And then a newer name that we need to track at the tight end position now is Terrell Tillman. Terrell Tillman came to Oregon as a member of the 2021 recruiting class, was an edge rusher out of Texas. And uh now he's been moved to tight end, which I think would be pretty interesting just to see um just to see if he kind of makes a little bit of an impact there. I think he was kind of in the neighborhood of of 6'4, 6'5 and 215, 220, so maybe a little bit of a lighter edge rusher. But um, I think that. If, if you have an athlete that is able to move to the other side of the ball, um, I think that he, he really didn't play that. I don't think he played very much, if at all, as, as a true freshman. Um, okay, primarily on special teams. I stand corrected. As a true freshman in 2021, appeared in all 14 games, primarily on special teams, played 190 total snaps with 184 on special teams and six on defense, finishing with five total tackles. Um, so now he's transitioning from outside linebacker to tight end for 2022. Um, with, I think it's, it's kind of cool. It's gotta be exciting as a, you know, tight ends coach with your manager to, to get a new addition to your group and just kind of see how you can mold him to, to be the kind of tight end that you think this team could really need. Um, it's interesting that Tillman leaves the outside linebacker position to be a tight end while DJ Johnson looks like he's kind of leaving the tight end room to take on that full-time edge rusher outside linebacker position. Um, so kind of a cool little swap, a little bit of a trade between the offense and defense. But Oregon's tight ends are are uh, really, really talented and like a lot of their positions on on this team. But I think you do return, return some good production with Terrence Ferguson, maybe emerging as your top pass catching tight end this upcoming year. Maliki Matavao, uh as a really solid run blocker, but he caught a touchdown against Ohio State. So he obviously knows how to make an impact in the passing game as well. You can't sell him short there. Uh, And then to the same extent with with Terrence Ferguson in the run game, I think he made a lot of really good blocks last year uh, on some big, on some big plays that they, uh, that they needed there. So really excited to see what, uh, what we can kind of get from uh, Oregon fall camp when that kicks off on Friday, Oregon football media day will be tomorrow on Wednesday. So make sure you guys stay tuned in not only to the YouTube channel, but also to ducks digest to, Uh, catch up the latest coverage over there to, uh, you know, make sure you're staying up to speed on everything going on with the Ducks as the 2022 football season gets ramped up. But that's going to do it for us on this episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I want to extend a huge thank you to all you who tuned in on YouTube, live at Oregon Football Max Taurus, and then those of you that also tuned in on podcasts to give us a listen, take some time out of your day to talk some ball, to talk some Ducks, talk some recruiting as well all the things that we love to do here at the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm going to hop on out of here, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you head on over to ducksdigest.com to check out all the written content for the Ducks. And I will be seeing you guys in the next episode of the Ducks Dish podcast.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.